And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom about the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given to us. And this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments for. Who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Ah, buenos días, uh, bienvenido, bienvenido a South Point, uh, feliz Cinco de Mayo, un día para comida deliciosa. Mi uh, suegra es de San Luis Potosí, México, ella está aquí. ¿Dónde está ella? ¿Ah? ¿No? Where is she? <laughs> well, that's as far as my Spanish takes me from high school, so that's all I got. Said so my mother-in-law from Mexico is here today, so I'm looking for her. Where is she? Ah, <laughs> you're on the opposite side of the room. You're never over there. All right. Well, welcome to you too. We're in uh, week two of our four-week series through the first few chapters of the book of First Corinthians, a letter written by the apostle Paul to the church that he started in this Greek city of Corinth, a church that was full of. Problems and a lot of the same problems that we have today because it was a jacked up church full of dysfunctional people. Speaking of that, welcome to South Point. It is good to have you today. Uh, if it's your first time, uh, you know, you might be looking around thinking like, I don't fit in here. All these people got it together. Yeah, not so much because uh, we're... we're we all carry our baggage into the church, right? I mean, we're all at different stages in our growth, and some people who attend church aren't even Christians. And so, hey, you know, we're not perfect, but we're, we're forgiven, and uh, we're learning to become more like Jesus, and we'll be perfect on turns. But until then, look, everybody gets confused. I mean, we all have these arguments and debates over what's right and wrong, what's good and bad. And uh, it comes down to your worldview, you know, your your uh, perception of reality, your belief system, which affects everything. It affects your psychology. It affects your sociology. It affects your philosophy and your anthropology and your politics. Everything. Uh, it, it comes down to how you view the world. And, and you get that from your, I don't know, your experience, your intuition, 
your, um, your feelings, what your parents have told you, what your friends tell you, all mixes in there to help you make decisions on not necessarily what's true and right, but on what feels right, what maybe is going to bring the most positive results for you, which means we can all make some pretty dumb decisions, okay? And I've certainly made some myself. Most people plan on making bad decisions, they, they, but then again, it's because they don't plan not to. Nobody plans on getting into debt or getting addicted or getting a divorce, but it's because we don't have a solid foundation for making decisions. We don't have a bedrock of principles that guide our Think about all the times that we have been exposed to the world's ways of thinking, whether, you know, all week long. Uh, think, uh, and, and then uh, let's, let's just not talk about all the years that we get inundated by the world's ways of thinking. We've, we're exposed to one way of thinking without ever being exposed to God's ways of thinking. So it's not one created with that. Got a bad mic, don't I? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Muchas gracias. How are we doing? Okay. So we, we make bad decisions all the time, and that's why I love the title of a book that came out a few years ago by Pastor Andy Stanley called The Best Question Ever, right? You want to read that book, The Best Question Ever. And it has to do with what question should you ask when you're trying to make a decision, and here it is. What is the wise thing for me to do? What's the wise thing for me to do? And when you, when you begin to draw your wisdom from God, you have, you have a solid foundation to base every thought every action on wisdom. And uh, you make choices that are consistent with his principles and his commands. Now, those not, might not necessarily be choices that benefit you personally or that bring the most positive results, but they're going to be the right ones. They'll be the wise ones. And I know God's wisdom can look absolutely foolish to the world. It can look ridiculous. We've talked about that last week. And if you want to hear that message, listen to the podcast or watch it online, but we begin to think that we're the crazy ones because all the voices in society and school and media contradict what God says, which is pretty, you know, unconventional and out of the box. And so if you want to live differently, you've got to begin to think differently. And if you want to change the way you think, you've got to change what you think about. And to change what you think about, you've got to change what you fill your mind with. What are you filling your mind with? And so there's this incredible gap between people who claim to be Christians and people who actually live as Christians because of what we're filling our minds with. When you, when you do the surveys, I don't know, upwards of nearly 80% of Americans say that they're a Christian. But when you ask them basic questions about beliefs and practices, well, then it comes down to like less than 10% actually have a biblical worldview, you know, see things through a scriptural lens. What does that mean? It means that we have a huge gap between those who claim to be a Christian and those who actually think and act like Jesus Christ. Now the conventional wisdom is that Christians today don't really act that much differently than non-Christians, okay? Because you look at some stats and like Christians have pretty much the same divorce rate as those who aren't Christians. But hold on, wait. Uh, that's because it's based on the idea of people who are claiming to be Christian. The good news is those who actually do hold a biblical worldview do 
live radically different from other people. Yes, their divorce rate is way lower, and they're far less likely to participate in sexual immorality and adultery and get drunk and barely any endorse abortion. We, we think differently because we have a biblical worldview. So wouldn't you like to be able to make the right decision every single time? Wouldn't that be incredible? How do you do that? How do you get that? Well, you got to begin to think like the only person who made every right decision. The only one who is perfect is Jesus. How do we begin to think more like him? Well, good news is we've got the mind of Christ given to us in Scripture. The more we know Scripture, the more we're able to think like Jesus. So we ask even more than what's the wise thing to do. We begin to ask, what would Jesus do? What does Jesus think about that? And when self-professing Christians aren't acting like Jesus, it's because they're not thinking like him. And how can we not? Again, if we're inundated with the world's way of thinking, if we think showing up to church once a week for an hour or, or showing up to church once a month and we learn just a few Bible verses, how is that going to overcome all of the world's thinking that we've crammed in there for, for hours and hours and hours and hours? So, look, you're still fallible. You're still human. You still are you know, corrupted by the world's ways, the, the cultural filters that have been there since you were very young. But here's what I know. We can all begin to make better decisions if we will begin to think more like Jesus. If we will begin to put in there a scriptural grid through which we see the world, that we have a filter that helps us to make the right decisions. And I'm saying, even if you're not a believer in Christ, I would challenge you to, to try this out. You're, you're off the hook. I mean, it's not like we're saying you got to do this because you're not, you're not following Christ. But I'm saying, give it a try. Even apart from faith, just try doing what Scripture says and see what happens to your life. But here's the problem with that, too, is you're not going to be able to fully implement or understand what Scripture says without the Holy Spirit within you. That's, he's a real difference maker. And it reminds me of the scene from the movie National Treasure. You remember this from years ago, Nicolas Cage? And they, they, they stole the Declaration of Independence because they believed a treasure map was on the back. And so uh, in order to see that treasure map, they needed some help. Watch this scene. Hey, what's your score? See, anybody can read the Declaration of Independence. It's written in English. Now, it's an older form of English, but if you study English, you can read it. You can understand it. Um, but here's, here's what we're talking about. That our treasure is the Word of God. Okay? And, and anybody can read the Word of God and understand it. It's not like it's some secret 
mysterious code that you need special knowledge to crack. All right? Uh, anybody can read it plainly like any other piece of writing and understand the facts it talks about. But here's the difference, is that you're never fully able to appreciate its significance and its meaning and want to apply it to your life without putting on the spectacles of the Holy Spirit, letting him speak to you through it. And look, everybody likes to think that they're spiritual, right? But there's all kinds of spiritualities out there without any agreed upon definition. So what does it mean to be a spiritual person? Is it somebody who prays? Is it somebody who does yoga and chants? Is it somebody who travels to sacred places, somebody who gives money to charity, somebody who listens to Oprah, what is a spiritual person? Everyone thinks they're spiritual, and churches are not the only place where you go to hear preaching, because a preacher is somebody who tries to tell you what to, what to think, what to believe, what's right, to tell you what's true, and here's what you should do. That's a preacher. So guess what? Every time you turn on the TV, every time you go to a movie, somebody's preaching to you. Every time you listen to a podcast or listen to a song, it's a sermon. Whenever you take a class, read a book, open a piece of mail, look at an advertisement, somebody is preaching a message to you. The question is, which messages are true and which preachers can be trusted? And even in the church, there are different definitions of what it means to be spiritual. In some churches, you're spiritual if you speak in tongues. Other churches, you're spiritual if you can memorize verses from the King James Version. Others, you're spiritual if you raise your hands while you're singing, and others, maybe when you pray out loud, that makes you a spiritual person. No, 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 no. Paul says you're a spiritual person when you're filled with, led by, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit within you makes you spiritual. And that's why Paul focuses so much in this section on the ministry of the Holy Spirit in revealing God's truth to us through those inspired apostles and prophets who speak to us either verbally or in written form. And what we have today is, is their revelation to us through Scripture. God gave it to them, they gave it to us. And that's what Jesus promised his apostles in the Gospel of John. He says to them, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Now when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. That's for the apostles. Now, they're no longer here to teach us directly, but those writings that they left us, those are not just their own human musings about spirituality. This is God's revealed truth through them. And that's not something that you can fully understand by mere reason alone. You can't reason your way into understanding God. You can't figure God out through human religions, which are based on experience and speculation. You can only know anything about God, what he chooses to reveal to you. All right, that's what we're saying scripture is. And that's why our big idea is think like Jesus by receiving revealed wisdom. You have to receive it as revealed wisdom. Again, we don't have the apostles to teach us here directly today, but we have the word left to us in scripture, and we have preachers and pastors and teachers who apply themselves to understand it so that they can communicate it accurately. And so whenever God's word is really being taught, it's never just a purely human event, but it's a supernatural experience 
as God speaks to us through his word. Now, those, those teachers got to do the, their best to apply themselves to understand it so they teach it accurately. And then Paul says, look, I came to you, Corinthians, not in my own wisdom or in my own power. I, I, I got nothing to boast about. In fact, I came to you with fear and trembling. I didn't come to you to, to show you what a powerful speaker I am, but to show you what a powerful God we serve. I relied on the Holy Spirit's power. And so if you walk out of church ever thinking, oh, what an awesome preacher, how, how silver-tongued, how smooth, how dynamic, how deep, how smart, how impressive, how cool, or how, what a worship leader, or what, what a production, what a performance, what a facility. If you don't walk out of here saying, wow, what a savior, then we failed. Because we're here to we're here to bring you to know Jesus Christ, not anything that we've gotten. We, we bring nothing to the table. Paul says, I came to you with a demonstration of power, of the Spirit's power, so that your faith would not rely on my power, but on his power. You say, Paul, why, why in the world would, she, would we ever believe you? Well, here's why. Boom. <laughs> There's a miracle. There's a demonstration of power. Deal with that. Now, we can't do that. We don't have that miraculous power. But here's what we do have. We have the proof in the changed lives. That's the mark of spiritual teaching when God's Spirit uses his word to change people's lives. And that only happens when we rely on the Spirit. So let me do a little preaching about preaching, all right? Because uh, you may not understand what all goes into this, right? I mean, you come here every week to listen to these talks. Go with it. Just, just okay. You come here every week to listen to these talks. And you may not understand what all goes into it. People generally have misconceptions about what preachers are like and what they do, right? So first of all, preachers will sometimes preach off the cuff, right? They'll just say, well, I'm just going to wait for the Holy Spirit to give me the words, and then I'm going to teach it. Um, you know what? I would not want to blame the Holy Spirit for a lot of the nonsense that I hear blurted out today in churches. Don't blame that on the Spirit. That's just you, dude. You were too lazy to study. You were too lazy. You didn't want to put in the time and effort to, to make that a good message. You didn't want to prepare. You didn't think enough of your hearers to invest yourself in preparing that. Because that's what a good message is. You, yes, we're relying on the Spirit's power, but that means I take it very seriously. And I'm going to spend some serious time in praying, in studying, in reading the Scriptures, in consulting commentaries by Bible scholars, consulting uh, great lessons and teachings by communicators and teachers. It, it means that I'm going to do my best to uh, write well, to think through it, to come up with illustrations, to organize it, to edit it, to edit it again, to edit it again, to go over it and over and over until I have it memorized well enough to deliver it. And, you know, before, from beginning to end of that process, you're looking at at least 25 to 30 hours of my week. That's, that's nearly half my week just spent on a message. So I'm preaching is a very strange kind of job, which is probably why it attracts so many strange people. I mean, every profession has its good people and its bad people. Ministry is no different, but I'm telling you, there's, I'm, there's a lot of wingnuts and whack jobs out there passing themselves off as preachers. But just the very idea of preaching is crazy. If you think about it, to say that God is using me right now to speak to you about what you should believe, what you should do, how to run your life. Isn't that nuts? I mean, what in the world? But that's what God does. He uses the weirdness of preaching to communicate his truth. And I love what I do. And, I, you know, I would love to see so many people from South Point go into ministry, and some have, and that's great. 
I love everything. I don't love everything about the job because some parts of it are tough and, and some parts of it you just got to do like any other job. But when I get to study and write and teach and preach God's word, man, there's nothing else like it. Love it. But before you really think about going into preaching, let me tell you some things that preachers are not. Uh, first of all, I would say preachers are not very popular. <laughs> they are not the guys that you want to hang out with, all right? I mean, because to think that you're telling people, hey, you're wicked, knock it off. All right, you just don't want to hang out with that guy, right? He's going to say some things that are offensive. Uh, we, we can't help ourselves. That's just the way it goes. And, and so preachers are not very popular with most people because they say things that are, are not well accepted, especially in this postmodern age that rejects authority and truth. And then to think about how many of you, one of your greatest fears would be to get up and speak in front of a large group of people. Let me see your hands. Real high. How many would not? That's intimidating, right? All right, keep your hands up because we're going to bring a mic around so you can explain how you feel about that. <laughs> right? I mean, to, to try to be interesting and engaging uh, inspiring and bring things that are practically helpful week after week after week after week. I mean, so it's a little challenging, right? And, and then to think that everything I say, God is going to judge. I mean, that he's, he's going to hold me accountable for every single word because everything I say could impact somebody's eternal destiny for good or for bad. I mean, that's, that's a little bit heavy, right? All right, so we're, we're not that popular, and another thing you may have noticed about preachers is we're not that cool. There's just not that many cool pre preachers out there. You've noticed that, haven't you? I mean, I like to think I'm cool, but <clears throat> you already know that's not true, so I'm not even going to try. Uh, I I've never been cool. Not cool now, never have been. I have one wife. I've been with her since I was 18 years old. I've never been with anybody else. Don't have a cool car or a cool truck. I don't dress cool. I don't have any rips in my jeans. I don't wear skinny jeans. I don't know why anybody would. They feel miserable. I don't have tats or earrings. I don't smoke or drink. I don't play an instrument. I don't listen to cool music, at least according to my kids. I thought it was cool because as the song says, it's hip to be square. But then again, that song's over 30 years old now, so what do I know? But I think it's okay, because I don't think Paul was very popular or cool either. And he certainly wasn't the best speaker. He admits that. But here's what he did. He faithfully, truthfully, and plainly told people about Jesus Christ and the gospel. And that's all that really counted. That's all that matters. People often don't want to hear doctrine. They just want, oh, just tell us some really good, inspiring, funny, heartwarming stories, not doctrine. But Paul says, I came to you to preach Jesus in the cross. That's my focus. And what counts most is that the Holy Spirit used him to bring people to faith and change their lives forever. And so God, yes, speaks through these feeble human efforts to accomplish some extraordinarily supernatural things. And I can never imagine this because of me, because of my skills or my experience expertise or my abilities that causes those changes because man that would just that, that would puff me up with so much pride I would just think I'm all that but on the other hand I can't 
I can't focus on all my flaws and my shortcomings and compare myself to all the others because then I'll get a super inferiority complex. So what do I do? Well, I've just got to admit that I'm a sinner with um, failures and weaknesses, and that means that I rely on the Holy Spirit to let him work through me, and that, that's what makes it effective. And sometimes a preacher will knock it out of the park, but more often than not, we're doing good to get a single or a double, but you can never strike out when you preach about Christ and the cross when you bring people to the gospel. Paul says in Romans 10, 17, so then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? By the word of God. That's what we're supposed to focus on, is teaching scripture and preaching the cross. And you think that going into any church, that's the message you would get. But how many of you have been to churches where they never even read scripture, where you never even hear about Jesus as the only son of God, as the only savior? Yeah, not everybody teaches that out there. Yet, that's exactly what Paul says we need to major on. And I could teach on a lot of subjects right now that would give you a lot of helpful advice, like you could find on a blog or in a podcast or in a self-help book. But if none of it's related to Jesus, I could teach on adversity. I could teach on uh, suffering and money and sex and marriage and relationships and whatever it is. But if it doesn't give you Jesus, then you don't have the full answer to your issues because we're not dealing with the real problem, which is our disconnect from God because of the dumb, sinful choices that we've made, the unwise choices we've, which we've made, which have messed everything else up. And the only way to fix those things is with Jesus. Jesus fixes those things. And the Holy Spirit convicts us of that, empowers us to make those changes. And when I begin to realize and think straight that, okay, who am I? I'm a sinner. Jesus is God. I'm saved by grace. That gets my head screwed on right. I start to think right. It affects my psychology and my philosophy and my sociology and my anthropology and my politics and you name it, everything. Jesus fixes my way of thinking because I'm beginning to think his thoughts. Think like Jesus by receiving, receiving revealed wisdom. So around here, we're always going to open up the Word of God to you. That's all we can do and teach it clearly and plainly because that's how you get the mind of Christ and that's how you grow wise and that's how you make better decisions. You're not going to get that anywhere else out there. If you walk away from here saying, you know that stuff he said? I could have got that at a Tony Robbins seminar. Or you know what? Brett, Brett agrees exactly with Dr. Phil. And I'm not giving you God's truth. I'm just giving you the spirit of the age. I'm just giving you some feel-good uh, messages of, of pop therapeutic self-help. You can get that anywhere, but not here. Here you're going to get truth from God. Not everybody's going to understand it. Not everybody's going to receive it, no matter how plain we make it. You know why? Because they can't. They can't. They just can't. Because we have been misled by the world's way of thinking so long that we cannot accept that truth yet. Why? Because our minds are clouded. Our hearts are darkened. Our spiritual eyes are closed. And that's why so many people who are not Christian can't understand why in the world we believe the way we do because they have been indoctrinated by their preachers for so long their teachers and psychologists and professionals and their uh, politicians and their celebrities and their anchormen that's all they've ever heard they never heard God's way of thinking so they, they don't know what God thinks about anything nobody can know what God thinks about anything unless the Spirit reveals it to you I have no idea what you're thinking unless you tell me. I can guess and I can assume and surmise all day long, but until you tell me what you're thinking, I don't know. And people who think they know what God's thinking don't know until God tells them. And where's he told us? In his word. He's told us through his Holy Spirit in his word, and that is a revelation that must be humbly received 
Scripture is the mind of God revealed to us. And that's why we can have so many different opinions on so many different issues, because we are countercultural to the world. The things they think are wise, we think are foolish, and the things they think are foolish, we think are wise. <laughs> How do you get around that? Well, you can't really. So if you're, get, if, if you're getting into it with somebody, don't argue with them. Because they're, they're not going to fully understand what you believe. They, they can't fully understand what you believe. And they're going to disagree with you all the time until they allow the Holy Spirit to open up their hearts and open up their minds and open up their eyes. So don't get mad at them. Don't get angry with them. Be patient with them, love them, pray for them. Let the Holy Spirit do his work of convicting them of the truth. The Holy Spirit can penetrate through all of that. And many of you know what that's like because you had that light switch moment when that light bulb popped above your head. Finally, you said, now I get it. Now I see it. That's what scripture does for us. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword because it's the sword of the spirit. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So receiving the revelation of God through Scripture enables us to think like Christ, to make better decisions, to have his values, to have his desires, to take his point of view. And how do we get it? All right, so how do we get that biblical worldview? You ready? This is really deep. You're going you're gonna to walk out of here thinking that guy is super deep. Here it is. Read your Bible. That's all I got. Read your Bible. Where else are you going to get it? And if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one out in the lobby, a free New Testament, or just go online. Go to BibleGateway.com, all kinds of different versions of the Bible, or download the YouVersion app onto your phone. Read your Bible. That's it. And remember, focus on the New Testament. Because the New Testament is what gives us the mind of Christ through the apostles and prophets. We're no longer under the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. We still read it. It's still the Word of God. It's still valuable. still gives us a lot of wisdom. But it's the New Testament that shows us how to live as Christians. That's what gives us the mind of Christ. And parents, read the Bible to and with your children. Teach them. That's where it starts. Bring them to church every week. It is so important that they get a little bit of time with God's word when they're going to be inundated with all kinds of worldly thinking the rest of the week. Paul says, but we, the apostles inspired by the Spirit, we have the mind of Christ. Do you? You get the mind of Christ through listening to the apostles and prophets who are inspired by the Holy Spirit teach in his word. So the question of whether you're a spiritual person is do you have the Holy Spirit within you? And do you let him guide and direct your thinking so that you reject the world's views and opinions so that you take God's views and you, you say, Holy Spirit, teach me, guide me, and you follow his leadership and his authority. God's wisdom was a mystery until he chose to reveal it. And that's why, you know, if the world had understood, they would have never crucified Jesus but they weren't open to the Spirit, and so they rejected Jesus. Please don't make the same mistake because Jesus is not the kind of guy you were looking for to be your leader because you just say, well, he's another wise man, he's another guru or prophet. No, Jesus is the full revelation of God. He is the Word of God. And if you receive him, you know what's going to happen? He is going to mess you up good. 
He is going to turn your world upside down. He is going to change your heart and transform your life and shine a light to illuminate your thoughts and shake up your values and shift your priorities. He's going to mess you up good. But you've got to be willing to receive him. To humble yourself and say, you know what, I don't know everything. I don't have it all together. And I want him to be my leader. I want him to be the authority of my life. And I'm ready to do what he says. Will you open up your heart? Will you open up your mind and open up your eyes to him right now as we pray? Lord, I want to thank you for revealing yourself to us in so many different ways, in nature, in miracles, in your word. But most of all, in your son, that he is the, the greatest revelation of all. And so help us to be humble enough to rely on your wisdom. We want to have that mind of Christ. So fill us with your spirit. And every time we open your word, we pray that you would teach us by your spirit how to appreciate it, how to understand it, and apply it to our lives every day. We want our thoughts to be your thoughts, Lord. So we want to see reality through your eyes, and we want to make good decisions in alignment with your will. So, Father, I'm asking you to convict us of your truth, that you, people right now who need to make a decision to follow you, open their eyes, shine that light into their souls so they would stop resisting and start receiving. Pray there's some right now, they'd make that decision to turn away from all the, the, the world's foolishness and the world's darkness and the world's spiritualities and instead choose Jesus. And pray it in that name. Amen.